All right, you guys. Interesting story, huh? A lot here. Sorry, I have to interrupt. Any, any thoughts, observations that anyone wants to make? Any questions? What's so speci- special about Jacob? You know, your mind starts going there, doesn't it? Like, why are they doing this? And part of me began to empathize with Rebecca a little bit because, and I'm kind of glad you're bringing this up because I'm not going to mention it a lot in my sermon, but she, she has the promise of God, the revealed word of God that she got in Genesis 25, that the older will serve the younger. And she's married to a husband who is rebelling against God's word. So it comes to this final hour, and what she's doing is she is manipulating and controlling God. She's like, okay, I got to help God out. And we do that all the time, don't we? We're like, God, you're not going to come through here, so I'm just going to take matters into my own hands and, and help you out a little bit. But what a, um, what a mockery that is to God when we do that. But that's some of the stuff that's going on. Any other thoughts or observations? All right, let's dive into this thing. Um, just brief review, we... Looked at Jacob and Esau, what was it, weeks, maybe months ago. And you have these two brothers, but more than that, these two Toledotes, these two stories that are going to evolve out of them, these two seeds that is going to produce these two kingdoms that you see throughout the Bible. So that when Jesus shows up in the scene and preaches the kingdom of heaven is here, repent. That's not some new idea. That, that's rooted in some of the stuff we started to read uh, last time. Now, today's text, it's pretty easy to find the handle or handles on which this whole thing hangs. Because the words bless or blessed or blessing are used, I think I counted them up, 27 times. In fact, they show up in almost every single verse. So this whole text hangs on this word bless or blessing or to bless. Now, when we come to a narrative, and I said this last time, we always need to ask these questions. First, what's the big picture? In other words, how does this little story that we're reading right now fit into God's grand story, the grand narrative of how God is redeeming a people for himself through whom the rescuer will come, through whom he's going to rescue and redeem the world? How does this little thing, this little story, fit into that? He also has to ask, what's the small picture? And the small picture is what God is doing in Jacob and Jacob's family, and also what God wants to do in us through this story. So I want to start tonight with the small picture. Now, in the ancient world, when a father got to the end of his life, he'd gather his son or his sons... He'd lay hands on them and he'd bless them. And this would have been a formal ceremony, kind of like a final culmination of 
all the informal blessings that he gave to his sons throughout their life. And that's what's going on here. He is giving them a formal blessing. Now, I want to say this at the outset. Because I don't think we really have any idea on what a big deal this is. A father blessing his sons. Because I think to us, we're just kind of thinking that this is kind of a father saying some encouraging words or maybe some well-wishing or something like that. But let me just ask these questions that we should be asking from the text. First, why does Jacob covet this blessing so much? Why does Esau, this man's man, literally fall apart, weep like a baby when he gets robbed of it, something he never did with his birthright? Why does Isaac tremble violently when he realizes that he gave the blessing to Jacob and not Esau? I mean, why can't Isaac just be like, Jacob, you liar and you cheat. You fooled me, but I'm just going to erase all of that and we're going to do this thing right. He doesn't. And I think we're here tonight also not really understanding this concept of blessing. Partly because blessed to us, it's a weak word. I mean, someone sneezes and we say, God bless you. But in the Bible, this word bless is loaded with meaning. It's a potent word. To bless biblically is to recognize the power of two realities. First, the power of the spoken word. Or to put this in in playground jargon, it's, it's this understanding that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can corrupt and destroy my soul. That words have enormous power, that words are potent, that they can wound, but they can also be used to to build up, and to bring life. In fact, I think every parent here and every child here knows the power of spoken words. Second reality is it's the power of spiritual discernment. So it's not just this power of of spoken word, but combined with the spoken word, there's spiritual discernment going on. And spiritual discernment is... What happens when I got something really close and intimate going on with God, and then I'm in close, intimate relationship with other people? And when those two relationships are going on, what God does sometimes, and it's always in accordance with this, but God downloads some things in our heart that we can then speak to other people. Now, this is not this manipulative or controlling, I got this word from from the Lord and I need to tell it to you. I mean, sometimes people come up to me and say that God put this on their heart, that I'm this and I need to do that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you don't even know me. That's not what we're talking about here. This is more like when my mom or my dad or my wife or my brother or my sisters or my close friends who know me well and have something intimate going on with the Lord 
and they speak something into my life. And I've experienced that. I mean, I even remember when I was a little kid, and I didn't like this at all, but my grandmother, who had an intense walk with Jesus Christ, I was probably already only five or six years old, and she'd look at me and she'd say, Rod, you're going to be a domini someday. She's Dutch, okay? That's the Dutch word for pastor. And I had those words just in my mind and my heart, even through high school, through college. I got in fights with God over those words, um, but they were real. And add to all this, the, the most literal meaning of this word bless. In Hebrew, it's the word barak. Do we have any children out here? Come on up. Michaela, right? I don't, Mackenzie, forgive me. Um, all right, Mackenzie, stand up here. Who's bigger, stronger, mightier, more present right now? Me or her? We all know. All right. Okay. Now who's bigger? Mm, sit down. <laughs> Barack literally means to bend the knee. To bless means to make yourself so small to make another person great. And see, I understand this now when David says in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. A lot of people are like, how can we bless God? Well, what David is saying to his soul is simply that. Bend the knee, soul, and all that is within you, bend it before God. Make yourself small. Make him gr that much greater. And, and that ought to be everyone's response to the creator of the universe. But here's where this just blows me away. It's when God sets in motion his plan to redeem and rescue the world. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, you're not going to bless me. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to Barak. I'm going to bend my knee to you. I'm going to make myself small to make your name great, to make your family great, and through your family, I'm going to bless the world. See, this is at the heart of what Isaac, as a father, is doing with his sons. And he's at the end of his life. He gathers his sons. He lays hands on them with spiritual discernment, the power of the spoken word, drills this deep in their hearts, who they are and what they are to become for God. And fathers, I want to stop right now. Are you doing this with your sons and your daughters? Are you blessing them? Are you bending the knee to them? Not asking them to just come up to your level. Not asking them to be all that you think they should be and what your dreams are. But are you blessing them? Are you bending the knee to your, your children? Because every child 
just longs for this. For someone whom they admire, who they look up to, to bless them. And see, what's going on, too, in this time period is there's a special blessing for the firstborn. And the blessing of the firstborn, in effect, was having kind of the the most powerful and influential person in the clan, in the family, the patriarch, say to them, you are the most special. There is no one like you. And I don't care who you are tonight, whether you're a firstborn or not, we all need the blessing of the firstborn. We all want those people who we admire, who we look up to. We want them to say to us, there's no one like you. We want them to say to us that you're awesome, you're incredible, I believe in you, I love you. See, now, as much as we would like to believe that we can bless ourselves, that we can do that for ourselves, the honest truth is that we can't. I don't care what pop psychology or popular opinion says. The fact is you can't bless yourself. You can't possibly think you're good when the whole world thinks you're terrible. I mean, what we need then is for someone who is good to say that we're good to really believe we're good, or for someone who's smart to say we're smart, to really believe we're smart, or for someone who we admire to say we're admirable, to really feel like we're admirable. Because the fact is, we cannot bless ourselves. And see, what Jacob shows us in this story is a frightening picture of what many of us do to get the blessing of the firstborn. We dress up like someone else. We pretend to be someone we're not. We cover over our flaws and our weaknesses. We hide our brokenness. We don't let anyone see who we really are, how messed up we can be, how sinful we can be, and so we dress up. And look at Jacob in this story. I mean, there's really one word for this. Pathetic. Because Jacob is not a little boy. Jacob is becoming a grown man. And I want you to just see from the text just how pathetic this scene is. I mean, look at verse 12. Well, really starts with verse 11. He's, Jacob said to Re- Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau, he's a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. I mean, this isn't going to work. And What if my father touches me? I mean, I would appear to be tricking him. And then what's going to happen? I mean, this whole thing is going to come crashing down. And I'm going to get a curse rather than a blessing. And then in verse 15, I mean, it all culminates in this. Again, he's not a little boy, but he's probably um, a growing man. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house. And she starts to dress him. Let's go back to the days of dress-up. And today I'm going to dress you up like Esau. And so she dresses him up. And I don't know if we should laugh at this point or cry. But here's the deal. Before we poke too much fun of Jacob, 
Let's be real honest right now. Are we any different? I mean, why is it tonight that no one can really see who you really are? Why don't you let people in to see your flaws and your fears and your insecurities and even your sins? I mean, this is especially true in the church. And I'll tell you why this is. It's because we're all wanting this blessing of the firstborn. We so desire for the people that we admire the most, the people that we look up to, to say, man, you're amazing, you're awesome, you're so gifted, there's, there's no one like you. I mean, just think for a moment how people dress up today. They use their careers to dress up, and so many people are even in a career today that has nothing to do with who they really are, but... Hey, if I put that lawyer uniform on or my doctor or pastor uniform on, the world will say, boy, there's no one like that guy. We use our homes, our neighborhoods, our cars, our vacations. We use all this stuff to dress up our lives. Hey, is there anyone like me? We even use our relationships sometimes to dress ourselves up. If I could be close to that person or get that person to like me or to be in that group. And somehow we think then we'll get the blessing of the firstborn. And I'll tell you what I think the worst way in which we dress up is. When we start using God. And we dress up. And we play that part and we talk that part and we pretend to be something we're not I love the question that Isaac asked Jacob look at verse 18 your NIV says who is it in Hebrew it's who are you? I mean, think about this. Here comes Jacob, all dressed up, pretending to be someone else. Who are you, Jacob? And let me ask you that question. I love to ask that question. Who are you? Do you even know? Do people know? And why is it that you dress up? Why is it that you hide? Why is it that no one can see your flaws or your brokenness or the ways that you've messed up, your struggles, your sin? And let me ask this question. Does dressing up really work? Do you like to dress up? Does it really cover your flaws? When you pretend to be something you're not, do you really get blessing? I mean, look at Jacob. Listen to Jacob's answer to his dad's question. Who are you? Jacob says, I'm Esau. But the emphatic then is, I'm your firstborn. And see, I want us to feel what's going on because we need to empathize a little bit with Jacob. Jacob's whole life. He's had to watch his dad 
delight in his brother. Knowing that he's nothing like his brother. I mean, Esau's the strong one. Jacob's the weak one. Esau's the mighty warrior. Jacob's the tent dweller. Esau's the affable and the likable one. Jacob's the manipulative, the unlikable one. Esau's the one who made dad proud. Jacob probably hardly noticed. In his whole life, Jacob had to play this second fiddle to his brother. And now what Jacob is saying, no more. No more. I'm your firstborn, Dad. You're going to bless me. You know, some of you are here tonight because you grew up in this family. I think many of us have. Looking at our, our, our parents, our dad, our mom, you're so badly just wanting them to bless us. This drama continues to build. I mean, you see Isaac's confusion already in verse 20. And here it says, Isaac asks his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? That's when he brings this meal in here. And, and, and this is how bad Jacob is in his heart. The Lord, the Lord, your God, gave me success. And he's bringing God into this, into his lot. And, and then look at verse 22. It says, Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, Oh, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And again, Jacob is, is confused. His, his spiritual discernment isn't quite there. It's frustrating him. And then by the time you get to verse 24, he asks this question. Are you really my son Esau? And by this time, if you've read this thing for the first time, you're left wondering, will Jacob actually succeed? And then all of this culminates in this chilling scene where Isaac, still confused... Gives his son one last test. Come close to me, son, and kiss me. And then the text says that when Jacob comes close, I mean, it's almost as if in that moment, Isaac gets intoxicated with the smell of Esau. Oh, my son, my blessed son. And see, I think in that moment, I think Jacob, for the first time, got the look from his dad that he always dreamed of. That look of delight. My son, my son, there's no one like you. I think maybe for the first time, Jacob experiences his dad's heart just bending the knee to him, to honor him, to lift him up and to bless him. But here's the question, did Jacob really get that blessing? I mean, he finally got the look. He finally got the blessing he always wanted. But here's the bottom line. And Jacob knows it. That blessing wasn't intended for him. It wasn't even about him. It was simply for someone Jacob was pretending to be. And this blessing was only as real to Jacob as Jacob was real. Did you hear that? 
See, it wasn't Jacob who his dad was loving and delighting in in that moment, but it was someone that Jacob knows himself not to be. Who are you, Jacob? I'm Esau. I'm a fake. I'm a phony. See, and the reason we know that Jacob never gets the blessing, and we'll see this later, is that years later in his life, when he comes to this crossroads, he's wrestling with this mysterious figure through the night. And the whole time, Jacob is still saying to this, to this mysterious figure, this angel of the Lord, bless me, I will not let you go until you bless me. Because he's still in need of the blessing. One cannot possibly get the blessing when they're dressing up and pretending to be something they're not. And I'm sure just in reading this story, you see how twisted this whole thing is. And I want to stop right there and say this. (laughs) This is the family through whom God is going to bless all the families of the earth. Don't you dare make the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness about the good guys and the bad guys. They're all bad. And we're all bad. In fact, Rebecca, when you look at her, she's this controlling, manipulative wife, as we talked about. And because of this, she loses the son that she loves so much, never to see him again. Esau, who despises his birthright, despises his, his godly heritage, the inheritance that he's supposed to get. He's this guy who marries pagan women. He's this way because he has no respect at all for his father or for his father's God. And this guy is just left bitter. Then Jacob, who I can't help but call the sweater vest in this story. Sorry about that. But this guy is a liar and a cheat. And we're going to see that he's exiled from his family, from his home, with absolutely nothing to his name. And then there's Isaac. In my opinion, Isaac is the catalyst of the whole thing. His twistedness causes this whole family to be twisted because as the father goes, so often, so goes the family. And his family is ruined. And I think about Isaac, and I think about his life, and I think about how at a young age, this guy laid his life down on an altar. How he's been faithful to one wife. How in the previous chapter in Genesis 26, when this huge famine hits the land, God says, you're not going to do what your dad did. You're not going down to Egypt. You're going to stay in the land. You're going to rest in my promises. And you're going to trust me. And Isaac does. In fact, it even says that out of this famine, Isaac reaps a hundredfold. And Jesus picks up on this in the New Testament and essentially says, when you're like Isaac and in famine and you trust me, you're going to reap a hundredfold. In fact, three times in, in the previous chapter, 
it says the Lord is with you. The first time it says the Lord, the Lord says I will be with you. Then it says I the Lord I am with you. And at the end of the chapter it says and I have been with you. Past, present, and future. But now we come to the next chapter and I ask myself what happens to this man in his old age and I don't think it's hard to deduct what happens when you read the text I think he's given over to his appetites his God literally becomes his stomach when you read Genesis 25 verse 28 when it says that Isaac loved Esau it doesn't stop there but it gives a reason because of the delicious food and his taste for that in fact, this whole chapter tonight begins with the fact that Isaac is blind. And in my, my opinion, this is the text way of saying Isaac is more than just physically blind, but this man has become spiritually blind, and he can no longer discern at the day in which he's to bless his sons. So it's not too hard to see what's going on in Isaac's heart. If you want the bottom line, it's this. He flat out rejects God. He flat out rejects God's word because God told him in Genesis 25, verse 23, that Jacob is the one I have chosen Jacob. And the reason why Isaac doesn't take God at his word is simply because I don't think he likes God's choice. I think his heart has gone the world's way. I think he wants Esau, the mighty one, the valiant one, the likable one, the popular one, the skilled one. But God instead chooses the weak one, the unlikable one, the lesser one, the despicable one. This is God's way. See, God isn't just looking for the good guys amongst the bad. It has nothing to do with how good we are or how good we can perform, or how well we can dress up. This whole thing is about God and his grace. And see, I love Isaac's reaction when he's finally confronted with the reality of God and who God is and God's choice. Look at verse 33. It says, Isaac trembled violently. This is just after he finds out that he's been tricked. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it into me? His mind is still in that fog. And it's slowly coming out. He says, I ate it just before you came. And I blessed him. And I think at that moment, the lights go on. Because Isaac says, and indeed... That is a stake in the ground. Jacob will be blessed. And see, up until this moment, Isaac's heart was set on Esau. But here Isaac gives up his way. Gives up going the way of Esau, going the way of the world, through the strong, through the mighty, through the capable, through the likable, through the powerful, and through the skilled. And for the first time, Isaac accepts God, that God doesn't work this way, that God's way is through the weak, 
It's to the unlikable, it's to the lesser, it's to the Jacob, who's the most screwed up person in the whole story. And what's our takeaway? It's all about God and his grace. Do you know that tonight? I got this quote from Tim Keller this week. He says, God brings his scandalous, intervening grace into the lives of people who don't seek it, who don't deserve it, who resist it, who don't even appreciate it when they're saved by it. This is the way of God. See, because when God works, he works surely through his grace. And see, some of you tonight, I'm confident of this, you're fighting God's grace. You still think it's all about you, it's all about your performance, it's all about the performance of your family and how good you look and how good your family looks. And it's why you're still hiding, it's why you're dressing up, it's why you're feeling this need to pretend to be something you're not. Because you really, in your heart, don't believe that it's not about you and that it's all about grace. It's all about his righteousness. It's all about his performance. And here's the bottom line. You can hide and hide and hide and you can pretend and pretend and pretend and you can dress up and dress up and dress up. But you can't fool God. You can't fool him. Who are you? God knows. And I, I, I think the highlight of this whole story for me is Isaac. When it says Isaac trembles violently. Because this earthquake is going on inside of him. And for the first time, he stops fighting God, he stops going against God's word, and he surrenders, and he trusts God, and he goes God's way. The way of grace. It reminds me of Isaiah 66, when God says, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit. And trembles at my word. And you know what God's word is? This is why we should always, always tremble at it. God's word is blessing. God's word is a father's blessing to his firstborn son. And now we've just moved from the small picture to the big picture. Because we know big picture that Jesus Christ is the word. And that he is the real firstborn son. The Bible says he's the firstborn of all creation. It says he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the only begotten son of the father. Jesus is the real firstborn son. And this is why throughout Jesus' life, this firstborn son, Jesus, always called God Father. And it's why God, a couple of times, looks down from heaven and says, This is my son. <laughs> World, do you see him? There's no one like that, like my son. I love him. I delight in him. 
And see, that's the picture throughout all eternity of this firstborn blessing that Jesus got from the Father. My son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Throughout all eternity. But this is the gospel. That Jesus left it and he gave it up. All the rights, all the status, even the relationship itself, so that you and I could have it. So that we could receive the blessing of the firstborn. I mean, the gospel, it's just awesome. It's that Jesus dressed himself up like us. He took on our filthy rags. So that we could be dressed up like him and clothed in his righteousness. So that we get to hear our heavenly father say to our hearts, his spirit testifying with our spirit. God, there's no one like you. My son in whom I delight. And I want us to know why we can have this tonight. This is ours because of the cross. In fact, there's that moment on the cross when Jesus, instead of calling God Father, he calls him God, my God, my God. Do you know why? Because of what he says next. In that moment, Jesus, the firstborn son, is being forsaken. He's being orphaned. He loses his father. He loses the firstborn blessing. So that you and I could have it. He is treated the way that you and I deserve to be treated. As a slave, dying a slave's death, as an orphan. So that when you and I trust him, God treats us, God loves us, and God delights in us. In the same way he loves and treats and delights in his very own son. In fact, Rebecca says something very profound that I think gets lost in this this story. I think it's verse 11. She says, my son, may the curse be upon me so that you can get the blessing. I know she doesn't even really know what she's saying here, but in those words, she is pointing us to the gospel, to Christ, because Christ takes the curse so that we get the blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. I'm going to end with this. You cannot bless yourself. And I don't care even if you have the best parents tonight or some of the best coaches or mentors. And they've, 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 they've believed in you and they've blessed you. Even the best fall so short. But Ephesians 1 says, but thanks be to God. That he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing that's in Christ. And do you see him blessing you? Do you see the God of the universe bending the knee to you in Christ? Making himself so small. Making himself nothing to serve. To wash your feet. Being poured out for you. You know that the God of the universe did that for you? 
to redeem you, to wash you, to lift you up, to remake you, to adopt you into his family? And here's the question. Have you really received it? Are you still doing it your way? Are you still hiding? Are you still dressing up? Are you still performing? The only way to receive it is really what Isaac gives us here. We hear the word. We tremble at the word. We receive the word. We trust the word. And we surrender our lives to it. Let's eat and let's drink this cup of blessing is here and it's for you the God of the universe loves you let's pray Thank you for taking just our weakness and our vulnerability. Thank you, God, that we don't have to perform for you. Thank you that we don't have to give you A's on all our work. Thank you that you You take someone as despicable as Jacob, this liar and this cheater, and you choose him. And tonight, God, I just pray that we would tremble at your word, your word of grace, that we would bend the knee to you, 